0: Okay, so you know that we just came back to New Orleans. I'm gonna speak a little bit about New Orleans first. At least one person's here went. But anyways, so we came back several, you know, several days working. It was like nine others who went with me. We me take a breath. And I'll tell you one thing, it doesn't take long to understand when we got there, when we started talking to people about at the mission, uh, that their primary mission was about people to hear the gospel message. Their primary mission was for people to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and then to disciple them. Uh, they didn't leave any gray area there. You know, we were, uh, we were allowed to go out with them. We were allowed to go out and to hand out thousands of pounds of food in the neighborhoods, and they, we got blessed. We went to Ward 9. For Ward 9, in case you didn't know, you do know, because you were watching it on TV with everybody on the rooftops waiting to be rescued. We were in that ward. Um, it was like 20 feet of water up to the roofs. And we spoke to many people who were actually on the roofs who got rescued. And, um, you know, we were blessed to do that. We were blessed to go to another another area, another neighborhood. And when the truck came, somebody said it was like the ice cream truck without the jingle. Because as soon as it came into the neighborhood, woo, the doors opened, windows open, cars were coming by and people were coming. And it was all about... Praying for each person, asking them about Jesus Christ and leading them to the Lord if they didn't know him. Amen. Amen. They give thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds of food, eight to ten thousand pounds a day, I think they said they give away. But it wasn't about that for them, it was the connection. It was making, you know, feeding the people, it was also feeding Christians who needed to help. But we were constantly encouraged to pray with everything, to share everyone, to share Christ with everyone. And you know, many claimed to be Christian. There was a lot of Christianity there down there. Everyone that I could think of welcomed prayer. And a few accepted Christ as the Lord and Savior when we were doing that. If Arian, raise your hand. That's Arian. You need to talk to Arian because she has an amazing story. Actually, Arian, stand up. Let's just All right, so do you have a mic over there, Jeremy? Could you handle the mic? Why don't you just tell everybody right now what happened at the... the Wait a minute, the mic's coming.
1: (laughs) Is it on? Can you hear me? Okay, I did not want to go on this trip. I had no desire to go. I had a desire to go to Appalachia, and I went... And Pastor Mike showed a video the second week he talked about this trip, and it was, it was something like this, and it was like, when I was sitting there, it was like God spoke in my ear and said, I want you to go on this trip. I'm like, okay, but I really don't want to go, but I went because, if you know the story of Jonah... You better go when God tells you to, or you're going to get swallowed by a fish. <laughs> 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 so I went, and even up till the day before, I did not want to go. But once we got there, it was just so amazing how God works. And all the people that we met, the people there, thank you. Um, we went out to the food truck, like you said, on Friday, and everybody's talking with people. And the, I saw this one lady that just made me so sad because her, her face had no emotion on it whatsoever. It was like looking at a stone. And so I went up to her and I said, has anyone prayed with you? She said, no. I said, would you like me to pray with you? And she said, yes. I said, is there anything you would like me to pray for? She said, yes. Pray that my life will end. And I just wanted to cry because it was just so sad. And I said, oh, God loves you. He doesn't, want you, to end, you know, he doesn't want your life to end. He loves you. He wants to be in your life, and he wants you to you know, have him in his life. I said that if you need help with things, the mission can help you with, with all kinds of things. Um, I don't know how to tell you to get to it, but let me go get the man who does. And so I went and got Daniel, who was our team leader at the time, and I told him what she had said, and he goes, oh, let me go talk to her. So he talked to her, and we were standing there you know, talking to her, and I said, do you want Jesus in your heart? And she said, yes. So we prayed with her, and she got saved. But I just kept thinking, what if I did not go on that trip? What if she had gone home and did end her life, or someone ended it? She did, she did not want to live. And no, I don't know what would have happened if I didn't go, because I didn't go. But God knows. And what if I stood before him, and he said, well, you remember that lady? Remember the mission trip that you didn't go on? I would have to answer for that. And when God calls, listen to him.
0: Amen. One of the amazing things they talked about is after she received Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, oh, I forgot that part. <laughs> her face instantly changed. Amen. She had a big smile on her face. Amen. It was like night and day. Yes. So was bad. Amen. I knew she was going to jump up and finish it. <laughs> All, right. All right. So listen, that's an awesome story. And that's just an example of some of the things that happened. You know, we were blessed to be able to go out on Desperate Realities, which is Saturday night. They go out to these places, uh, 8 to midnight. And Desperate Realities is a radio show. And they pick a couple people. And, and they have the dialogue between them and the people on the streets about Jesus Christ And if somebody accepts Christ, they do it right on the radio. So they're actually going out to other people and they're evangelizing. Those people who are listening to the show. Uh, But we're going out and we're going to the underpasses where people have their tents pitched. And um, we are bringing little bags of water or food. We are bringing the gospel message. We're talking about Christ. We're asking to pray for them. And we're also giving them an alternative to where they are at. And that's the mission, because the mission will take them in for 21 days, and they'll have the option of going into a discipleship program for a year after that, men's or women's. Um, so he gave them these options, and i got to be honest with you. Man, people are so friendly down there. People who are living in, in, under the overpass in these tents who probably had drug problems or many other problems were friendlier than some of the people down the road. And that's... Uh, it was pretty easy to get used to, I have to say. It was nice. But uh, they, were, they were very open. And so that's what we did with uh, Desperate Realities. We reached out into those areas. And, uh, you know, it's amazing what the, uh, the mission actually does there. Please keep in mind that the New Orleans mission has the highest, one of the highest homeless rates in the country, in New Orleans, excuse me, 47 homeless for every 10,000 people. The mission itself sleeps up to 400 at night and provides approximately 700 hot meals a day. They also have a lot those long year-long discipleship programs. The men called Giving Hope Retreat and for the women it's called Lynn Haven Retreat. Right now Giving Hope there's 94 men. Uh, they're maxed. They are in that program for a year. And right and right now the women there's going to be 48 shortly. They're finishing one of the buildings and Looking for ways to expand. Now it's also to understand about New Orleans mission is that they're not just about the homeless, okay? They're also about sex trafficking. They're about human trafficking. And they have all these different connections in Georgia and Mississippi, where they actually have safe houses to hide women to get them out of those situations. So they are very involved in uh, these different ways of, of helping women and, and helping men. Uh, the New Orleans Mission has been really recognized and they have, they talked about this a openly with us a lot down there. They have a lot of judges, lawyers, DA, who are Christian so the DA will come back, and in one case, the DA, this guy should have got prison. He's been in prison like three or four times. The DA should have said he's gone, but he came back and went against my better judgment on placing him in the mission discipleship program for three years instead of prison. So because they have people with belief in political and legal power there, supporting them. It was at the mission also that we were allowed to set tables and to serve food. Some would be in service, some would be uh, praying, hearing the message. Wayne was allowed to pray and praise God. He was a real blessing with his guitar. And uh, Stacy and Arian backed him up a couple times. I was allowed to preach twice this time. You know, there's one thing I've learned the battle belongs to the Lord. And before we left here, we were praying that the Holy Spirit would touch hearts and would make that ground fertile to receive the gospel message. And it was. You know, we had almost 40 people get saved in service. Amen. And many seeds were planted. And many people who are Christian, who were having and struggling, wanted prayer. And it was just an, it was just an amazing time. There's a couple of things to understand here, too. When it comes to the attitude that we ran into down there. The men we worked from, from security to people in charge, man, they all had direct run-ins with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had saved them not just spiritually but physically first and then they got saved spiritually and they were on a road to walking for him in the power of Christ they've seen many miracles in their own lives they were all in these guys you know some of them were described as crazy cages. some of the guys you know Derek I'll just throw a name everybody knew Derek so but They were all in for the Lord. Many had gone through the program, some had not, but there was no discussion about what the primary focus was because they wanted souls to be saved. They wanted lives changed through the power of God. And that was their center focus. And it's crazy. I know it's crazy for some people to think that way because there's so many things going on with them, with the clothing and the bandaging and the feeding and the sleeping and providing shelter. But it was all about people's personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to have one. For them, heaven and hell was really real. And secondly, I love this part. love this part because they couldn't emphasize this enough. They said it to me about 20 times from different people. And they use the word program, for lack of a better word. okay? Because it's when it comes to bringing people into the mission, they view it as bringing people into the church. They view it as they want you to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and then come into the church. And from that point, they're discipling you. They're teaching you. They're guiding you. And they believe that through faith in Jesus Christ, with the power of the Holy Spirit, that people are going to experience real change, real healing, real transformation. And then they're going to equip them to go back out and share that with others. They don't believe in psychology and using it. They believe in the power of the word. You have Superchurch? All right, Jimmy's walking out with Superchurch, so nobody wants to hear this awesome stuff. Go to Superchurch. Alright, so they don't believe in psychology, they believe in the power of the word. Here's another one, they don't believe in any psych drugs, and they will not take you in if you're on medicines for bipolar, if you're on medicine for schizophrenia, if you're on medicine for depression. They take you in, they wean you off it, and that's it. And the men's program had so many powerful testimonies about people who had, like, schizophrenia Them them completely healed. <laughs> bipolar, completely healed. And they were now either working there or they were just leading normal lives, Christian lives. It was also at the men's campus that we were invited to a Sunday service with the men and their family. And this was probably was a couple, over a couple hundred people. And we experienced w- worship, music-wise, Louisiana-style. Uh, gospel, jazzy, bluesy. They were raising the roof and we heard a powerful message. And let me just say something here. That service was three hours long, so you're not gonna mind my hour and a half. So the preaching. The preaching was two hours. So from the second guy. Uh, <laughs> one of the craziest things is we get down there and the chief operating officer is from North Providence, Rhode Island. Donnie Leonardo, and I could understand every word he said, <laughs> and he was also the guy who runs Desperate Realities, he was also the guy who shared the message, so we're going to hear more from him, we're going to have some connections there, but it was uh, really interesting, he was just blown away that there was a team from Rhode Island actually there, he was, so yeah, amen, <laughs> praise God. So listen, I'm just trying to give you a feel for what's up there. You definitely need to talk to people from the team, see how they, you know, what they went through, their struggles, because God does a lot of things. I always say about mission trips, it's not about having to go overseas. It's not about going across straight lines. It's not about even going to the next town. When you willingly step onto the mission field, you're allowing God, the Holy Spirit, to put his spotlight on your weaknesses, Hey, and a lot of times your strengths, too, because he's going to use some of those. But you're allowing him to put that on your weakness because he wants to help you. Sometimes we go out and we're going to fix everything and we're going to get everyone saved and we're going to help out. Listen, they're sharing the word more than we're sharing the word. But God's sharpening us when we're down because iron sharpens iron. And for some, he's just strengthening faith. And for others, he's preparing the way for the future. When you step on that mission field, man, you start to reveal who you really are in Jesus Christ. Start to reveal the depth of your faith. Start to reveal the trust that we have. Starts to reveal if we're really capable of walking by faith and not by sight or what's getting in our way. And that's a good thing so that it can be removed. Reveals our willingness to let go and let God and to relinquish control. And I would say in all cases more, you know, some more than others. But Now here's something I got really sick of. Got sick of before we left, and God put it on my heart to do something about it, so I got sick of this, man, I kept getting warned every time New Orleans came up and it came from the weirdest places, and it really wasn 't from the body, but it was all about man you got to be careful of the witchcraft and the voodoo down there, and how prevalent it is, and you know I was waiting to be a human sacrifice as soon as I got off the plane <laughs> but but we heard that I heard that from several, more than several places, and I really got sick of it. You know what? Because he's not greater than God, okay? And for some reason, people were just buying on to this garbage. And I said, you know, when I got up there and I said to them, sitting in chapel like this, I said, let me first say this. I rebuke the witchcraft. I rebuke the voodoo. It is not greater than God. devil is a created being. When God said goes, he's got to go. It's the creator of the universe. I rebuke it all. And that's how I started. That's how I started. why? Because God wanted me to. There is no doubt. You know. But I think I need to start that way today. I need to start that way with things that are not the same attacks, but certainly from the same enemy. And I want to start with this. I want to rebuke A lethargic attitude among Christians. I want to rebuke the attitude of not letting things go in this world. I want to rebuke the doubt that Satan keeps putting in our minds about why we share Jesus Christ. I want to rebuke the cowardice that can seep in that stops us from moving forward for the kingdom of God. I want to rebuke the enemy in this body. He has no place here. And listen, I want to pray for clarity for every one of us, including myself. I want to pray for clarity that God would reveal where we have allowed the enemy to come into our lives and to set his tent up. Because it doesn't belong there. I want to pray for God to give us the strength to submit to his will when we're battling with our own. I said that when we step on a mission field, there's often a revealing of God, of our weakness, of areas that He wants to work on. But in Louisiana, as I've seen on other mission fields, there was this kind of theme that was going on. And I saw it on the campuses. I saw it in discussions. I saw it with the men and the women. I had it in conversations and prayers. It was even in the message that we heard. And it was clear to me. And this is it it's a question for us today Are you living for Christ? And now listen, this is kind of a warning. I'm just going to say slow down. Don't jump up and say definitely I'm living for Jesus Christ because I want to encourage everybody to take a moment and to slow down and to really think about that statement. Because are you really? And you can start with the list that I just prayed for. Because if you find yourself lethargic when it comes to moving forward for the kingdom of God, when you find yourself unwilling to step out in faith, when you find yourself doubtful about God showing up in the 11th hour, when you find yourself constantly giving in to fear, when you find yourself gripped and showing cowardice, just hindering your walk for Christ, then you're not living for Christ. I believe that in general, and I'm making a lot of generalities here, but I believe that in general today, I have to say that now because after going to Appalachian, after going to New Orleans, man, my view of Christianity has been changed because the Christians here don't walk like the Christians there. Sorry, they don't. And I'm sure if I went to other parts of the country, I'd run into the same type of things. in general i believe the christians today have just let the world get our, get its hooks into us world's dictating our schedules technology our contacts for some facebook is some entity that we have to report to and there's actually a relationship going on with technological things there it's weird We have given in to how the world thinks we should live. And listen, in the spare time we have, maybe we'll worship Christ with it. We are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. But somehow that line has gotten blurred. You know, in the book of Matthew, we find out what Christ does when he sends his disciples out. We find out what he does when he sends them into the world. And he tells them, yeah, go out, do miracles in my power, do miracles in my name, share the truth of the gospel, share the Messiah has come. He's telling them, go out and say the truth and stay in it. And then he says this in 10.9, don't take any money in your money belts, no gold, no silver, no copper coins. Don't carry a traveler's bag with a change of clothes, sandals, or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. So he's sending them out in the world and he's sending them with nada. He's sending them with no provisions, no money, no food, no clothes. Why? Because they had to rely on him. They were to trust him alone and not what the world had given to them. They were to look for those people who were going to show them hospitality because the Lord was setting it up and providing. And the bottom line was this they stepped onto the mission field knowing God was in control. They were living for Christ and therefore depending on Jesus. You know, no matter how you cut it, it comes down to. This it comes down to making a choice. Do we choose everything that the world keeps throwing at us? Do we want to do those things? Do we want to grab onto those things? Or do we choose Christ? I hear all the time from people, I'm obsessive compulsive. OCD. Everybody probably knows it by I'm OCD. I'm OCD. Listen, that's fine. Be OCD for Jesus Christ and the word of God. Amen and lay everything else down, because it means nothing. And listen, I know some people, I just pushed a button, and you're scared. I understand. But it's in our weakness that we find His strength. And it's those times when we're our lowest, and we go to Jesus Christ, guess what? He shows up. And He does the miraculous. Miraculous. This was something that struck me, at least with a few guys that I, I came to know the mission very close, and, you know, Daniel and Derek and Ron, it was obvious to me they were living for Christ. <laughs> How do you know a line's crooked when you compare it to a straight line? And when you see people who are in the trenches, when you see people who are walking correctly and they're immersed in the word and they're immersed in Jesus, but they're not just sitting in class all the time, they're actually putting their feet on the pavement and they're getting into the ditches and they're willing to surrender their lives for Jesus Christ. When you compare yourself to that, oh, it's hard to take a look at that. You see, the norm for them on a Saturday night was going to the, under the overpasses to preach to the homeless. Now, I'm guilty, but on a Saturday night, you know, go out to dinner, going to watch the movie, going to do this. We got it all plan. You know, this was their life. And they're doing it every week. The norm for them was bringing food to people who were less fortunate in these neighborhoods and praying for them and sharing Christ with them and leading them to the Lord. The norm for them in fellowshipping with, fellowshipping with Christians was at midnight in the streets of New Orleans, preaching the gospel. How much more powerful fellowship do you get than that? The norm for them was knowing in their heart that the Holy Spirit was going to move. One of the guys Daniel shared with me, and I, you know, I don't know what you believe about this, but I don't care because I saw it in action. But Daniel shared with me that when he got saved and he was running from God the whole time and he kept bumping into people and the people would say to him, "Dan, you realize God's got a plan for you, right? Why are you running away? People didn't even know. He'd run into him and have a, some short conversation, and like, God's got a plan for you. And he finally decided to surrender his life. And when he surrendered his life, God gave him some kind of gifting, a word of knowledge where he was leading them to people that he knew were going to accept the Lord. And the team would come over there with him. And Daniel was all about it. He's the guy who led the food, he's the guy who led uh, the ministries into the streets. He's a guy who was saved by Jesus Christ the hard way because he was all about alcohol and partying and all that stuff. But these guys walked expectantly when it came to the power of God. Do we? Maybe in some cases, yes. And here's another thing that absolutely kills me. This kills me they did not discount the proclamations of those who say they accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They actually rejoice when someone accepted the Lord. See, what we have here is all of a sudden the naysayers start lining up. And they're like, I'm not really sure if that proclamation was true. And I don't know, man. And I get that all the time. With them, they're all on that bandwagon. They're all about people accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they weren't negative. They were all positive about it. They weren't looking for it or it wasn't real. They were like, praise your name, Jesus. You know that's the same thing with healing and saying, "Oh, I just I pray you get named, you know healed in the name of Jesus, the Lord. I hope you heal her, or be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. I know God's going to do it in you." You see, they had seen so many times, and maybe this is part of it. They had seen so many times people pray the prayer from their heart, make that proclamation, and then watch them be discipled and their whole lives changed. So they saw the fruit bear out. All right, so the Lord sends his disciples out. They have nothing, yet they have everything because they walk in faith in Jesus Christ. And they actually know what's coming. And he tells them, hey, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be on trial. Some of you are going to be flogged. Now, I can see people backing up already. What do you mean, Lord? He tells them the world's going to hate you because the world hates me. And then in Matthew 10, 19, there's some kind of encouraging. He says to them, when you're arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. The Holy Spirit is going to give them what to say. But please make mental note here. He's not saying you're not going to be flogged. He's not saying you're not going to be persecuted. You're not going to be beat up. You're not going to be in prison. What he's saying, don't worry about saying the right thing at the right time because God's got this. And they're going to speak truth because it's going to be the Holy Spirit speaking through them. But listen, with truth, he also gives them a heads up because the truth is going to cause division. In 1034, he says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but the sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. See, Jesus is laying out reality for them. He's saying, if you follow me in my ways, this is what you can expect. There may be pain, there may be suffering, but he tells them to be steadfast, to trust in him, to rely on Christ and know that the Holy Spirit's going to give them what they're supposed to say when they're supposed to say it. He reaffirms how valuable they are to God. And then he also makes this point about the eternal in these verses, versus the temporal. In Matthew 28, it says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body to hell. Man, if that was the one verse that we could believe in our absolute core and not be shaken from, not to fear what happens to us, but to have reverent fear for God because he's the one who saved our souls then we wouldn't worry about those things that when fear rises up because we're going to get hurt or we're facing danger or we're facing something, some area we don't want to go in. We won't be worrying about that because we'll be walking in the Lord. We'll be living in Jesus Christ. We'll be living for Jesus Christ. We'll be walking in the power of God through his holy word because that's what we believe and We're all in God, Lord. Use us. We'll be that empty vessel. Because you know what, we're not valuing our life over Jesus Christ anymore. Not valuing our comfort over Jesus Christ anymore. Then he goes on ten thirty two and he says this everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven, but everyone who denies me here on earth I will also deny before my Father in heaven. These are powerful verses that are still relevant today because we need to understand as believers in Jesus Christ that we have a spiritual obligation to follow his word. We have a spiritual obligation to share Christ. And as his believers, we can expect difficulties. They're going to come. We also have to understand this, that we don't need the, the things of the world to be effective for Jesus Christ. We need the power of God to be effective for Jesus Christ. We need a willing heart and a submission to rely on Him, not the things around us that we can grab. Let's face it, we have a lot of stuff. And we have to be careful that the stuff that we have is not drawing us away from walking for Christ. Some of it, listen, I I agree, some of it could be a tool for evangelism. Some of it could be these different tools. But if it's calling your name and it stop you from walking for Jesus Christ, then it's not the tool you need to use. If it's taking up your time. If it's becoming an addiction, really is what the word is. Jesus goes on to give us further clarity in a black and white picture of what entails truly following him. And he makes this statement, which really shows what's needed when it comes to commitment. In Matthew ten thirty seven, He says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And he says the similar thing as this, but and this is the one I'm going to get into, because he's saying it to a large crowd who's following him. And it's similar, but it's harsher. It's similar, but it's more severe. And there was a large crowd following him, and you can imagine, because this is what we go through today. Why are people, you know, following Jesus Christ? Why are they going to church? Why are they involved in this? And there's various reasons. For them, some were drawn to the truth. Some were drawn to his teaching. Some were drawn to the fact that he was feeding people. Some were amazed and enticed concerning the miracles that they saw and they heard of. After all, he had raised the dead and cured leprosy, cast out demons. He fed thousands and some wanted to be fed again. He was performing miracles. He was being noticed for it. He had things to say that he said with authority. They recognized that. Some were being drawn because they were intrigued. Some were drawn because they were just on the bandwagon, man, going with the flow. That's where the crowd was. Let's hanging out with them it's a the place to be he was making a splash and people followed them but he turns and he says this to him because did they really want to live for him or were they just following them, following him and he turns and he says this statement and it's a question that would probably be relevant for those here today and he's, and he's really saying to them why are you here And he's saying, why are you here? And then he gives them the next line, which really is saying, this is what's required if you really want to live for me. And in Luke 14, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. (laughs) Now the word hate here can be a little confusing because we know we're supposed to honor our mother and father. You know, we're supposed to love them. And hate here doesn't mean hate like we understand it to detest. It's a Hebrew expression, and it really means to love less. So he's saying it's loving more one more than the other. So this is what he's saying. What's required to live for Jesus Christ is that all other relationships are secondary. What's required to live for Jesus Christ? You shed the things of the world like the, the disciples did. You don't trust the world, you trust God first over everything else. You expect to be persecuted, you expect to suffer. And you know that God's going to furnish what we need when we need it. This is what they call picking up your cross. Here's something we're not live, called to live for we are not called to live for our children. We are not called to live for our grandchildren. We are not called to live for our mothers, our fathers, our husbands, our wives. All those relationships need to be subordinate and secondary to Jesus Christ. And if there's not, there's going to be problems. Listen, with all those things, we thank God for them. We pray for them and then we hand them over. See, this is where people struggle. We pray, we thank God for them. We pray for them and then we hold them as tight as we can and we start living the rest of our life for them. And that's not what the Bible says. Actually, it's against what the Bible says. Why? Because it's becoming a hindrance to your walk with Jesus Christ and what he wants to do in your life. See, when everyone's living for Christ, it's going to be blessings. You're going to experience peace, not chaos. There will be spiritual strength in marriage, because you've seen the triangle, right? The husband and the wife, and they're both pressing into God, and they're living for God, and they get closer spiritually like this. God first. Everything else second. When we're living for Christ, we're going to see the hand of God in our, in our lives. We're going to see the movement of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see effectiveness for the kingdom of God in our ministries. Becomes a matter of priorities. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we really start walking in the power of God. When Christ, when Christ is first, we are denying the enemy a foothold. We're living for, when we are living for Christ, we're walking in that Christian freedom, but we're using it for Jesus Christ. See, the Bible warns us, listen, you, you're free, the Son set you free, you're free indeed. Don't use that freedom to sin anymore. Make good choices. We live in a culture that sidetracks us in many ways, makes us feel that we need to be entertained every second, has us worrying about money, has us worrying about finances, has us worrying about jobs. Has us worrying about the unknown. When you walk into the mission field, it seems like those things get multiplied it seems that when we leave our comfort zone that the anxiety starts and the fear not faith comes to the surface and when that happens and that takes over and you stop living for Christ and you start living for yourself that the opportunities get missed that the doors don't get walked through that you're not walking in the power of God anymore that you're not walking in Christ you're walking in yourself Listen, when we're in that spot, we're not living for Christ. We're not living at all. We're existing as if we are in bondage to sin. And listen, we're not slaves to sin anymore as the children of God. We're slaves to righteousness. You ever seen that thing where people, they get saved and their arms are in bondage and the chains are around them? And I don't care what you're getting saved from. I'm talking about saved from the flames of hell and the wrath of God. And they get saved and the next thing you hear is these chains hitting the floor. And then for the next 10 years, they walk around like this. They're not walking in the power of God. Or they're making bad choices. For those who struggle with fear and anxiety, let me remind you of this verse when Paul was writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.7. God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about the Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Listen, as human beings, there is going to be fear, but we have to remember where it's coming from. The enemy wants to use it to stop us from going forward. And if we're basing our lives of what we're afraid of, we're not living for Christ. And not living really. Having said that, I want to share a verse that's encouraging. Here's some good news. Hallelujah. No, and it's, a, it's a verse that's often used um, when we're speaking about addictions, speaking about alcohol, speaking about um, different things in our lives that push our button, different things that call us in certain directions. You know, and it's this verse. And it says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond that what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's a promise for those who belong to Jesus Christ. He will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, here's the problem. I think as Christians, there's a lot of things in our lives that we don't actually see as temptations. We don't recognize that they're temptations. And so we just bite. And we go along and the road gets bumpy and we're like, what's this all about? And things aren't going quite well because we actually took a left hand turn. and We didn't even see it. We didn't realize it. So today, if you leave here, I want people to be more aware of those things that are coming before you, that are pulling you away from Jesus Christ. Are they really, are they temptations or are they blessings? And I'm gonna give you an example right away. Okay, so you need extra money and you're working overtime and God really wants you. He wants you personally. He wants you to do something. And you got, and you're out straight. You're working overtime and guess what? Here comes this new thing, man. And you got, you got an offer for some more OT. And you're like, oh man, what a blessing God's providing. Really? Is it God? Okay, listen, God's the provider. But does he want to make sure that you're financially all set in this other area? Or does he want to use you and he's going to provide for you anyways? See, this is a real personal thing that everyone has to look at. Because sometimes it's a temptation. It's not a blessing. You've got to understand that. And you may not be feeling that wrong about it, but it may be pulling you off the playing field. It may be pulling you off the things that God has planned for you. And He's got you sidetracked. He's the ultimate provider. He's the one that we go to for provision. How about when we have no scheduled time left and we're scheduled out for everything and we barely have any time to go to church, never mind get involved in church, never mind fellowship with anybody. We got no time at all. And then all of a sudden some event comes up. Boy, I love that. I want to, I want to get that in somehow. And God's like, I'm over here. See, this is where we have to balance that with our kids and our spouses and all that. Who are we living for? Who are we living for? Listen, I'm not pretending any of this is easy because it's hard. We deal with real excuses and reasons and that stop us from moving in the direction of Jesus Christ every day. But we have to take a moment and pray, are they temptations? Listen, it's so easy. What, what is that word, Monty, you use all the time? Pharma, pharma, something? Pharmacology, pharma, about the uh, pharmakia. Listen, all about the pill, right? It's attempting to take these drugs and you'll be pain free for the rest of your life and you'll also be in a daze. Is it a temptation or is it a blessing? Folks, we've got to wake up because God wants to use us. We have to recognize when the enemy attacks in those ways. Oh, it's all, it's all good when he's right in our face and the enemy attacked me, man. So You know, we're so like this. Something goes wrong in our life and we go, oh, the enemy attacked me today. Well, maybe not. Maybe God's trying to get your attention. Because you're not exactly walking the way he wants you to. And he's like, right hand turn, right hand turn, right hand turn. <sighs> We have to be careful. We have to be careful with the tech stuff. We have to be careful with the computers. We have to be careful with the Facebook. We have to be careful with the phone. We have to be careful with the, what do you call that thing of the Fitbit? You have to be careful. What are you living your life for? I wonder how many would actually go out if Christ said no plastic. No food. That one would kill me. No food. (laughs) One pair of sandals, not ten designer sandals for each day. Listen, but that's how he really wants us to go out. He wants us to go out relying on him. It's, it's, listen, it's okay to have a watch. It's not okay to stare at it all the time. It's okay to have a cell phone. It's not okay to pay more attention to the cell phone than it is the person right beside of you. It's not okay to be on your cell phone in the middle of leading somebody to Christ, is it? No, these things that can be tools. Everything can be tools. We just have to be careful that they're not calling our name and distracting us and being used by the enemy. And we're letting it. We're letting it. So, and I'll finish up because I know Sonny's back's killing him from archery last night. So he's like, "Is this gonna be over? <laughs> Only two hours left to be at the." No, I'm kidding. All right. So listen, here's the good news, though. It's so important. We hit a temptation. God provides a way out. He always provides a way out. So I don't care what it is you're facing. Okay? If you're looking and you're praying for God to show you the way, he is providing you the righteous way out right there. It's all going to come down to choice. What are you choosing to do? Who are you choosing to live for? Are you living for Christ? Why are you here in this crowd? Do you want to live for Christ? Want to walk in the power? Live in Christ. Live for Christ. So today I'm going to ask, Kate, you got to come up and sing a song for us? I'm going to ask uh, the praise person to come up and sing a song. The altars are open. Take time. Press into God. See what he's saying to you.